So for the next few weeks, we are going to be speaking about love. What is that? I just got that War What Is A Good For song stuck in my head, but it's not war, it's love. We're talking about love. You guys are just taking me all over the place this morning. So love, he loves us is what I've called this message. And over the next few weeks, I think we're going to do, next two or three weeks, we're going to have uh, different aspects of love. But this morning, I want to focus on God's love for us. Has anybody ever just took a step back and actually tried to wrap your head around God's love for you? It just can't be done. God's love for us is absolutely incredible. And as I was preparing for this message, I was, I was finding quotes from these great men of God. And this is what Augustine said. Augustine said about God's, God's love, he said, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. That means that, that collectively we're millions of Christians, millions of people, but God loves you like there was only you. You're the only one in his eyes. You are God's joy, the love of his life. And that's true about every one of us. Isn't that amazing? Jerry Bridges said, God's unfailing love for us is an objective fact affirmed over and over in the scriptures. It is true whether we believe it or not. Our doubts do not destroy God's love, nor does our faith create it. It originates in the very nature of God who is love, and it flows to us through our union with his beloved son. Isn't it good to know that God's love for you has nothing to do with you as well? It's because of who he, he loves us because of who He is. And we're going to see today that God actually loves you in spite of yourself. You know, and I think the reason why we have a hard time understanding what God's love really is is because we live in a society, and you've heard me say it before, that love doesn't have the same meaning as when we talk about God's love. I mean, because I love pizza. But God loves me more than I love pizza. You know, we, talk, we, love, we love our favorite sports teams. We love our favorite car. We love our favorite food. We say we love everything. But that's not the kind of love that God has for us. I mean, when we say it, we've, we've distorted what the true meaning of love is in our, in our lives. And we also have this, this weird notion in this society that if you love somebody, that means you have to agree with everything that they say and do. Because, you know, if, if you don't agree with homosexuality, that, means, that must mean you hate them. If you don't agree, somebody agree with the Muslim religion, that must mean that we hate them, right? But that's not true. The reality is, is that you can love somebody and not like what they're doing. God does it with each and every one of us. God loved us before, while we were still sinners. His love for us was so great that he sent his son. But it didn't mean that he liked what we were doing. It didn't mean that, that we were okay with it. He was okay with it. We've distorted the meaning of love. Let me, let me give you a definition of scriptural love. And you guys all know this. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. That's a powerful description of love. That means that you can love a sinner, someone who's doing the wrong thing, but not love what they're doing. And that's how God's love is for us. 
And I think in order for us to, to really grasp, to understand what God's love is, then we need to, to take a look at what the Scripture says about His love for us. If we want to understand the, the depth and the breadth and the, the height and the length, if we want to really get our heads wrapped around God's love, we have to look at what the Scripture shows and how He loves us. Amen? In Ephesians three seventeen through 19 it says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You know, do you guys recognize what an incredible privilege it is? that Christ dwells inside of you, that he dwells in your heart. First off, this is, I believe this is the, the, the only proof that you need that you are holy. If I were to ask you in this room and say, are you holy? Everyone should raise their hands. Because if you are saved, you are holy. God's made you that. It doesn't have to do with anything that you've done. It doesn't matter if you, if you sinned five minutes ago, you're still holy because Christ is inside of you. And if you weren't holy, Christ couldn't live inside of you because what part of, dark, what part of, uh, of darkness does, does, does it have with the light? Light and darkness can't mix. I mean, we, we see that. We can know that. We can see that when you turn on a flashlight, the light doesn't mix with the darkness. Light blasts away through the darkness. They can't be together. And Christ lives in you. That's the greatest proof that you are holy. And it is such a privilege that we have that Christ dwells inside of us. I was talking with Pastor Rick Moody, he's a pastor from the Tucson Church yesterday, and he was talking about Muslims that are getting saved in the Middle East right now. And he was talking about, you know, when, when they do that, it takes a long time for them to make that decision. And people are going in there and they're sharing the love of Christ with them and they're, and they're, they're not judging them, they're not beating them over the head with the Bible, but they're going in there just loving them. They're, they're helping those displaced people. They're giving them food. They're giving them shelter. And they're asking, why are you doing this? And they're saying, because Christ is inside of us. We want to share His love with you. He loves me and He loves you. Therefore, I love you. And what's happening is they're, they're over time, if they're being exposed to this over time, they're eventually taking Christ as their Savior. But the reason why it takes some time is because for them, it's not, I mean, it's not a half-hearted decision. When, when they take Christ into their heart, they are sacrificing so much. They are going to be ostracized from their family, from their friends. They may not be able to get a job again. They are giving up everything. Because they, they realize the privilege of what that means to have Christ in you. The privilege of what it means to belong to the church of God. And at that point, when, when they get to that point, they, they've accepted Christ. The church is all that they have. And he was explaining to me, Pastor Rick was explaining to me, like, you know, in the scriptures when it talks about that Paul said that I've turned certain people over to, to Satan so that maybe their flesh can be, be, basically so they can be brought back in. He's turned them over so, so that maybe they'll come to their senses, basically. And the reason why, like we think of that today, if, if somebody were to, to do something and, and we had to perform some sort of disciplinary action and say that if you're going to keep doing this, you can't stay here, it doesn't have the same impact because they're going to be like, well, I'll just go to the church down the street then. Because we don't have the same understanding of the privilege that it really is to be in the body that we're in right now. You know, in the Middle East, if something like that were to happen, 
they, would, they wouldn't have anything because they couldn't go back to their job. They couldn't go back to their family. And they recognized the privilege of Jesus Christ living inside of them. And, and, and they're willing to give up everything. It says that so Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. Did you know that everything that we do is supposed to be rooted in love? It's just like when Jesus, Jesus talked about the, the uh, summing up the commandments was love your neighbor as yourself and love the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart. Love is what we are rooted and grounded in. It's everything, everything that we do should exude love. We care about one another because of love. We join together in a vision of this church because of love for God and for one another. We preach the gospel to the lost because of love. We have compassion instead of judgment on those who are lost because of love. We worship God because we love Him. We can love because He first loved us. Love defines us. His love for us resulted in our salvation. And our love for others should be what identifies us. You should be identifiable by your love for others. And then Paul asks, he says, you know what? I pray that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is his breadth and the length and the height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul's saying, you know what? I pray that you would have what it takes to understand the vastness of that love. His love is so great. His love is so big that if, if, if He doesn't give you the strength to understand it, you'll never even come close to getting God's love for you. And Paul says, you know what, I'm, I'm praying that you would have the strength to understand His love for you, to know His love. And He wants us to know all aspects of it. How many here has desired to know every aspect of God's love for you? I have to admit, and, and and until I was doing this, even part of that for me, I wasn't even thinking about. Thinking about. And then I began to realize that I haven't even scratched the surface of God's love for me. And he prays for us because it says right here that the love of Christ surpasses all knowledge. You don't have a big enough brain in your head to comprehend God's love. We don't have words that have been invented or, or written to describe God's love. We do the best that we can, but we're not even close. There's no tools to size up God's love, and there's no units to describe it. And then he prays that we would get a hold of that love so that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. It's interesting that comprehending God's love is instrumental to us being filled to His fullness. I think if we want to live fully the life that God wants for us to live, if we want to reach the people that God wants us to reach, if we want to express the love and kindness that God wants us to express, we need to get a hold of the love that God has for us. Amen? In John 3.16 it says, Say it with me, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Most of you in this room probably have that scripture memorized. First scripture I ever memorized when I was a kid. They had this, uh, uh, I, I don't know, I was probably 12 or 13 or so, 14 maybe. And there was this guy that lived down the street and he had a few of us guys over, uh, guys in the neighborhood uh, watching this lecturer. Um, some Bible college lecture, and I don't know what he was doing, but basically what he was doing is, is uh, I, I went because I, I was going with my friends, but a couple of the other guys, they weren't, 
in retrospect, not the best guys in the world to be hanging out with. And he was paying them five bucks a night to come and listen to this guy. That's one way to get people to hear the gospel. So, but one of the things he did is if, if you memorized the scripture, he also gave you five bucks. So first scripture I ever memorized was John 3.16 because I wanted five bucks. And to this day, I still remember it. And what is crazy to me, and I've actually become kind of saddened with it, is how trite this verse has become in our, in our society. It's somehow we've, we've lost the, re, the, the realization or the, the understanding of what he is actually saying right here. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But we've reduced it to an overused catchphrase. I'm guilty of it as well. I got it tattooed and a bad tattoo on my arm because when I was younger, I made a bad decision. And I just thought it was something cool. You know, I, I didn't understand what that really meant. And I didn't truly get, a, get an understanding of that until I finally had a son and I realized what he had done. He gave up the life of his son. And it blows my mind to this day. It still overwhelms me when I think of that kind of love. Why, why would anybody do that? And when we read these scriptures now, we've lost our, our awe of what actually has happened. We've actually become jaded in many ways. Rick Warren said, God is love. He didn't need us, but He wanted us. And that's the most amazing thing. You know, God did this because He loved you. He gave His Son because... Take a step back and think about that. For those of you who have children, would you give up your children from anybody? Would you give their life for anybody in this room? Or let's say, some of the people we know out there, would you have given your life for the the drug addicts that are sitting on the side of the road homeless? And we don't even know most stuff about that. God knew every single thing about every person that's ever lived. He knew all the bad stuff that they've done. It's not everything. And he still gave up everything for us. In Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Romans 5.8, but God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. You know, this incredible act of selfishness selflessness and love is mentioned time after time in the scripture. And God's love for us caused him to put incredibly extreme plans into motion that we could be saved. And ultimately it's something that we did in the first place. Adam Adam took if, if Adam would have just kept his mouth shut, we wouldn't be in this mess. But instead he had to eat. And even though man put himself in this position, God's love still caused him to give up everything that he had for us. Like I said, as I read earlier in 1 Corinthians 13, 
the definition of love. Our love, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And in this part right here, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. God bore and loved and, and endured all things for us in spite of the things that we are, in spite of the things that we did. His, his plans to save us, that He put into motion to save us, did it even knowing the great cost it would be to Himself. And He did it while knowing who you were. God knew who you were. He knew every sin that you have committed. And He knows every sin that you still will commit. Yet in spite of that, in spite of knowing who you are, He still went to the cross. Bearing the penalty and the shame of those very sins that He knew about. He took that upon Himself for us. And He did it not because of who you are, not because of the things that you did. He didn't say, you know what? If I die from him and He becomes saved, they're going to do some great things. So you know it was worth it. He did it just because He loved you. And I, I hope you can see that through this whole message, I'm going to be laboring over His love for you because I want you to understand. I want God's love to smack you so hard upon the face that when you wake up, that's all you can see. You see, God's love, see, like little Tweety Birds around your head, just God's love spinning around. I want you to see just the greatness of His love. And this is, this is God. God did it. God sent His Son. <clears throat> and then we find that Christ died for us, which is even more amazing because when Christ came to this earth, He was 100% God and 100% man, just like you and me. And we know that He was distraught because in the garden of... In the garden, he was, he was crying and, and, and tears of blood were coming out. He was so distressed over what he was going to have to go to. But even as a man, his love for us, because we were what the, the joy set before him, his love for us was still so great that, that he still went. Jesus could have turned tail at any time. He could have taken off. Matter of fact, he was like, God, if there's any other way, but not my will, your will be done. The love of God exuded out of Jesus even in his manhood and he willingly went to the cross for you and me. Forgiveness, the cancellation of our spiritual debt, a brand new life for each and every one of us. And it was all by his grace. Nothing expected in return. You know, we didn't, you didn't sign up for a, a payment plan. We don't have monthly installments. He did it because He loved us. And He gave everything. And that's real love. John fifteen thirteen says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his, sin, for his sins, for his friends. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus laid down his life for our sins. You like how I worked that back in like I did it on purpose? 
God's love was manifested in His Son. It wasn't just a pretty postcard. It wasn't just this idea that He had. God wasn't up there saying, no, I love you guys. Really, I love you. But He demonstrated it in fullness of power and fullness of... I, this, this expression of love can't be... Like I said, and I've said it before, if it were up to me and it was my Son, I think we'd all be going to hell. Because I... I, I've just had moments where I've envisioned my son dying, just those thoughts, and it crushes me on the inside, and it hasn't even really happened. I can't imagine. And while Jesus was there saying, Father, if there's any other way, as his son cried out to him and saying, Father, if there's any other way, can you imagine the pain that God must have felt at that moment? If your children were crying out to you, if there's any other way, what that would feel like to you, but it's His love for us caused Him to, to do what He did, to the, the ultimate sacrifice. You know, when we have been loved this much, when we have been loved in this way, how can we have any other response but to love others? I mean, if you, if you took a moment to... to Think about what's to really get a hold of what Christ did for you. Every expression in our life should be one of love. For everyone that we meet, I mean, there's so much love that is filling us that it should overflow into every aspect and area of our lives. In 1 John 3, 1, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. What kind of privilege is to be called a child of God? You know, another expression of His love is not only that He save us, but He called us into His family. We are His, his children. In Romans 8.29 it says, For those whom He foreknew, He predestined, also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Jesus was the firstborn among us, children of God. Colossians 1.12 says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You know, to accept somebody into your family, to be one of your own, is one of the greatest demonstrations of love that you can show to somebody else. To treat them like they're your very own flesh and blood, to have them in your family, to, you know, as we're added to the inheritance of the saint, basically we got put in the will. Because he's considered us one of his. In Romans 8.15 it says, For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba was, was a, an expression reserved only for family members. The slaves couldn't refer to the Father as Abba. There, nobody else but flesh and blood children could refer to their, to their dad as Abba. That was reserved for that. And we've been given that right to cry out to God, Abba, Father. We've been adopted into His household. And this is an incredibly great privilege and something that you shouldn't even think about lightly at all. Because contrary to popular belief, we're not all God's children. You know, you see that sign. There's that one sign coming down uh, 22nd, I believe, and there's a big wall. And, and on the wall, it's like two hands opened up and it says, we are all God's children. And the truth is, we're not. 
John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. When you accept Jesus Christ into your life, you've been given the right to be a child of God. You are, you are being added to His inheritance. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that God doesn't love people that aren't Christians, that aren't saved. He loves them all. But you are not given that right, that privilege, that blessing until you receive Him and are brought into the family. But the amazing, it's, God doesn't require anything just to say, I love you, you're my Lord and my Savior. You just receive that free gift, that inheritance. And you're in. God loves you that much that He would let you into His family fully. Amen? Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, the Mighty One who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. When you guys think of God, what's the image that you get in your head? Do you guys have a picture of God in your head? Let me, let me read you a different translation of this. <clears throat> in the New American Standard uh, Version, it says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exalt over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love, but he will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. I think usually our, our, our vision of God is this stoic guy who's calm and collected. But the Scripture says that when He looks at you, He exalts you with loud singing, he, with shouts of joy. You cause an excitement in God that you didn't even know happened. When God lo- looks at you, His heart gets all a flutterous. I mean, He just gets excited about you and He begins to sing. He begins to shout. He rejoices over you with gladness. We are His joy. Hebrews 12.2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before Him. That's you and me. He endured the cross. He reminds me, I, I just see God like, you ever seen somebody at a Little League game, the parent that's so over-eager for their kids, and they're just up and shouting and yelling and jumping up, and that's God. God is your cheerleader. He loves you. He shouts over you. That's God. When I was in high school or middle school, I used to play football. And my mom was in the stands and she came to every one of our games. And at this time, she didn't really understand football. She came because I played. And uh, as we're playing, we're getting ready to get a touchdown. And we just got a touchdown. And she jumps up and down. She's screaming and yelling, Home run! And, but that's, I imagine God's like that. He doesn't care what's going on. His excitement, his exuberance, he doesn't, I mean, it just, he's there because he loves us, not because he loves what you're doing. Now, in my mom's defense, she is now probably a bigger football fan than I am, and she keeps up with him more than I am, so, but, uh, yeah, God is like a proud parent just screaming, he rejoices over you. You may not even knew that. You may not even understood that before today. Man. God loves you. You get that? God loves you. In Psalm 86.15 it says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Psalm 103.8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Do you guys know what it means to abound in something? 
To abound means to exist in large numbers or amounts. Basically, God's love is unlimited. God's love is boundless. We can't run it out. If you were concerned that you might be able to run God's love out and he was finally going to hit his limit, you don't have to worry about that. You can't run God's love out. There is nothing that you can do or say that is going to extinguish his love for you. And if God loves you, that doesn't mean that that he, he won't have enough for somebody else. I think one of the things that, as Christians, we tend to do is, is we don't ask for certain things or we don't expect certain things because we think, oh, there's somebody else with a greater need. There's somebody else that needs this more than me. And we're somehow afraid that we're going to run God out of his resources and his love and his expressions towards us. And the truth is, you can't. He abounds in love. It's limitless. And then it says... Not only is it boundless, but it's steadfast. It never stops. God didn't start loving you for the things that you do, for who you are, for your fancy new haircut, for how many friends you have on Facebook, or how many Twitter followers you have. He didn't start loving you because of the car that you drove, because of the little old ladies you helped across the street, for the people that you've helped move. He didn't start loving you for any of those things. And he's not going to stop loving you for any other thing as well. And he loves you the way that you are, even if you try to push him away. I look at David, who was known as a man after God's own heart. And we've seen, I mean, David messed up big time. He committed adultery. He had the, the lady's husband killed. And God was still there when he turned back to him. God never left him. God never stopped loving him, even inside those failures. Just look at the Israelites. I mean, the whole Old Testament is about them coming to God and then turning away and coming back and turning away and coming back and turning away. And every time, God is waiting for them when they decide to come back. And then you look at Paul. Paul is is one of the, the... the most interesting examples of that because Paul was at one point the antithesis of the church. He was killing Christians, dragging them out of their homes. I mean, his, his mission was to destroy the church, the bride of Christ. And then he flipped it around. God touched him and he met him in the Damascus Road. He had an experience with God and everything turned around. Now, somebody that was fighting that hard against the church, against God, you would think, man, why wouldn't he just be done with him? Why don't he just kill him and be done with it? But God isn't going to turn away from his love for you, no matter what. His love for you cannot be extinguished by the things that you do. And if at any time you will come to him, the scripture says that I stand at the the door knocking. And if you'll just answer the door, He'll always be there for you. No matter how many times you get up and run away, He's always there with open arms like the story of the prodigal son. And He's there with open arms. If you remember in the story of the prodigal son, the father runs towards his son. And most people don't realize it, but the fact that that man girded his loins and took off towards his son, that was incredibly shameful for a man to do. 
And he just threw caution to the wind for his son. Arms open wide, right at him. And God's like that for you no matter what. His love for you is limitless and it's steadfast. 1 Peter 5, 6-7 says, Humble yourself therefore into the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. His love for us causes Him to deal with what's going on in our life if we will just give it to Him. You know, if you will just turn some stuff over to God in your life, you would see an amazing change. The problem is, is we come in on, on Sunday morning and we, we walk in and we hear the message and we turn some stuff over, but on the way back out the front door, we, oh, I forgot something. And you go and you pick it up and you take it back with you. But He cares for you. He wants to help you get through this stuff. He wants to lift you up. He wants to strengthen you to handle these things. He wants you to trust Him. And His love for us causes Him to, to be there for us. Matthew 6, 25-26 says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? You are valuable to God. In Proverbs 8.17, it says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. And in John 14.21, says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. God's love for us also causes him to reveal his self to us. Which is always an amazing thing to me because I guarantee you that right now that I couldn't make a quick call to Obama and have lunch with him and meet him face to face. I probably couldn't even do that to to any local politician. But God's like, I got time for you always. When you love me, you can can have a face-to-face meeting with me at any time. Now, I don't know if you know this, but God is way more important person than Obama or the, uh, the politician down the street. Yet he still has time to meet with me. Matter of fact, the scripture says that he knows how many hairs are on your head. Even yours, Wayne. All that hair, he still knows. Because he cares about you that much. He loves you that much. And this, this right here, this, I love those who love me, or, and who, he who loves me will be loved by my father. That's not a a a requirement. That's not an ultimatum. The truth is, the only reason we know how to love is because He loved us first. Right? 1 John 4.19 We love because He first loved us. This is a response. And when we love Him, His love for us is manifest. And the reality is, is if you're not born again, you're an enemy of God. The Scripture says in Romans 5.10, if, we were, if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more than now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. Before you were saved, you were an enemy to God. It makes sense that He wouldn't reveal Himself to someone who was, who was against Him. Even if He tried, most, before you were saved, 
The, the scripture says that the cross is foolishness to those who are saved. If you're not saved, if you don't have an interest and a love for God, you don't even want to know who He is. Oh, but when you love Him, His love for you is manifest. It's expressed. And I'm always in awe that God would call us friend. Now to be sure, I think we need to be real careful and understand that He is not only our friend. He is still our Lord. Amen? He is still... The, the head of the church. But he also is our friend. And that's a, amazing to me. And he's willing to meet with us. Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God has plans for you. Now I realize that this was written to the exiles in, Babylonia, in uh, Babylon. And basically, the ex- they lost everything. But their lives and the few possessions that they had, they, they carried them with them to, to Babylon. Remember, they were exiled to Babylon. They lost their freedom. They were now slaves. They had been taken from their homes. They lost their means to make a living. They were separated from relatives and friends. Some had died in the march from Jerusalem to Babylon. And the, the truth is, no matter how they looked at it, no matter how you measured it, life wasn't so good for them. And, and they were hurting. And this was the promise that God for them. He says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Even in their dispara- desperation, even in their, the lowest point of their life, God was still already planning for them, looking for ways to express his love for them. And the truth is that even though this promise was made to the Babylonians, the promises of God are still applicable to us today. I want you to know that God has a plan for you. He has, he has a plan for a hope and a future for you. plan for your welfare. And not for evil. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This was plan that God had for those he loved and today this is the plan that God has for us Acts 10 34 says so Peter opened his mouth and said truly I understand that God shows no partiality Romans 2 11 says for God shows no partiality the truth is is that that God doesn't have some set of promises for some group of people and the rest of us are just on a little bit down on our luck but that God sees us all the same. His love for us is the same. And this promise right here is yours just as much as it is the, Bab- the, the exiles because God loves you. He has a plan for a future and your hope. God doesn't extend His promises to us based on who we are, but based on who He is. And God is love, Amen. And we should have a response to love. In Psalm 136, 26, it says, Give thanks to God of heaven, for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks. Hebrews 12, 28-29 says, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is the consuming fire. Our response to God should be that of one of, of thanksgiving. I think we need to be very, very careful to guard our hearts against becoming jaded. As it's like we talked about already, it's so easy to do. 
You know, we get to a point where we, 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 we spout out scriptures like, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believed in Him would have everlasting life. It becomes a, a rote saying instead of having any power behind it because for some reason, we've taken it for granted. And I think we need to be careful to guard our hearts and to meditate on God's love and to really let that sink in what it actually is and what it's accomplished in us and what that actually means. And our response to His love should be what guides everything that we do. Our immediate response should be one of thanksgiving, but our, His love for us should be what causes us to forgive others, to love others, to be generous to others, to help out others. It should be the reason why we want to show up on a Saturday morning when we'd rather be in bed to go walk the neighborhood and hand out flyers and pray for people and invite them to church. Everything that we should do, that, that we do, should be guided and directed because of God's love for us. God went to the cross for you. The least you could do is make sure that you're willing to go out there and, and proclaim the gospel. One Saturday morning inconvenience, because you don't get to watch cartoons, but instead you've got to head out in the street, that's nothing compared to what God expressed towards you. Amen. And the truth is that we are His hands and feet. One of the ways that God expresses His love to this world is through you. Are you expressing His love or something else? In 1 John 4.19, we talked about it briefly, but it says, we love because He first loved us. You know, the only reason we know how to love is because He loved us first. He is our example. Genesis 127 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. We are made in the image of God. The characteristics of God are our characteristics when we're born again. The reason we love is because he loved, because he is our example. And he loved us so much that he'll meet you where you're at. But He loves you so much that He's not going to leave you the way that you are. You know, you've heard me say it many times as Jesus is perfect theology. You know, when you watch Jesus doing something, that's the will of the Father. That's, that's what God wants because Jesus was God in the flesh, 100% man, 100% God. And what He did is what the Father did. Jesus said, <clears throat> I do only what I see the Father doing. And what we saw was Jesus walk around and express the love of God in every way imaginable. He healed people. He touched people. He went to those who were sick and were hurting and were broken. And he lifted them up and he repaired them. And ultimately he went to the cross that not only could he fix physical needs, but our spiritual ones as well. You know, it would have been so easy for God to just wipe the slate clean and say, you know what, we're just not even going to worry about it. You guys are all good but we'd have still been broken. But instead, He gave His Son. He, this demonstrated such an incredible act of love that we could be made whole, made brand new. So that instead of just being forgiven, but we're, we're also free from sin and, and the bondage of, of death. Jesus is our example. And He loved And we are made in the image of God. And because God loves, we love. Amen?
I'm going to go ahead and end right here this morning. Romans 8, 37 through 39 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Can anybody think of anything that was missed here? Because I feel confident if you think somebody was missed that we could add it and Paul wouldn't mind. This list covers everything. Everything in all creation. It says, none of those things will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. Jesus our Lord. Pastor Wayne, you don't even know what I, what I did last week. It was so bad. That has to... No, nothing in all creation. Anything that you can think of, go ahead and add it to this list. You have my permission from the pastor that you can add it to this list. None of those things will separate you from the love of God. The only thing that will separate you from the love of God is yourself if you turn and walk away. If you don't receive the free gift that's been given to you. But other than that, nothing will separate you at all. Charles Surgeon said, when the time comes for you to die, you need not be afraid because death cannot separate you from God's love. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Nothing that you've done, nothing that somebody else has done, nothing that the devil's done, nothing that this world can throw at you will separate you from God's love for you. God's love is unfathomable and it's inexhaustible and there is nothing that can take it away. Like I said, this is an exhaustive list. So have no fear. He loves you and nothing's going to stop that. Amen? Amen. Let's go and stand to our feet.